I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. Good morning to those of you who are experiencing morning right now and good afternoon or otherwise to those of you in different time zones. Uh, We are ending a retreat called Embracing Ourselves, Tending the World. Embracing Ourselves, Tending the World, um, which Jogen Sensei and I co-led. And during this retreat, we focused on the practices of metta, framed as kindness and openness. And many people echoed during the retreat the expectation that a loving-kindness retreat would be relaxing, blissful, perhaps transcendent. And yet it is often so much more. We may have moments of transcendence, of big-heartedness, and moments where we're really meeting the challenge that actually opens the heart and lets us love more completely, more thoroughly, more of ourselves and more of others and the world. In the beginning of this retreat, each participant um, gave voice to their intentions for the weekend. And this is a ritual that we started uh, since the age of Zoom uh, to help create and foster a sense of community because we've often been um, practicing both residentially and then uh, on Zoom on people at, at home. And I found this really powerful and I hope that we continue it because the power of articulating intention as we were discovering this month um, as we focused on vows uh, really does orient the heart, really helps us clarify what we're doing here and remind us of deep intention. So at the beginning of each meditation session, uh, Jogan and I re-emphasize that coming, coming back in contact and connection with intention. But during the opening ceremony, people gave voice to wanting to practice gentleness, openness, unconditional love, to dissolve the barriers to love, to have compassion for themselves and others, to accept themselves, and and derivations of of those things. All of these are such powerful intentions. I kept using the word during the retreat, radical intentions. Radical, getting to the root of what this human life is all about. I, don't, I think one thing we don't realize when we set sh- such deep and clear intentions like these is that we summon all the factors, challenges, voices, energies that we have deemed unlovable, unkind, harsh, closed, that we haven't wanted to feel, to experience. 
in order to dissolve the barriers of love, we must actually meet those barriers head on, face on, directly, and see what they're made of. Really know their essence. In order to practice openness, we must feel and see the ways that the heart-mind closes. For this is exactly the place that we learn how to open. It may be easy to be gentle with the gentle parts of ourselves, the parts that we like, the parts that we like to be seen as. It may be easy to open to the parts of us that are already open. And much more challenging it is, is it to meet the angry, the critical, the sad, the numb, the bored. Yet when we practice to opening to these parts, we learn a lot about ourselves. First, we learn about our capacity to open. We discover what we're capable of feeling, of being with. We learn about edges, and edges are places of growth and learning. We learn, perhaps, about the openness of attention that is capable of bearing witness to the whole range of human experience. Perhaps we are able to step into that transpersonal aspect of openness. We learn that we're not solely the angry part, the closed part, the anxious part, the tension in the jaw, the pain in the knees. We are not solely the happy person either, nor are we the longing or the grief. All of it, the whole range is part of us, part of this human life and is moving through us. And all of it is part of this human life, which is not personal, although it has personal content. So it also enables us to open to the truth that Everyone is experiencing, to some degree, that whole range of human experience. And the less awareness we have about it, the more we respond from our hurt, from our grief. And we see that that does hurt others. It can give us motivation to practice and compassion for others who are hurting and causing others pain. Openness is not the opposite of closedness, tension, hate. Openness can coexist with closedness, tension, hate, can embrace it. I want to read the full poem by Naomi Shihab Nye, the poem called Kindness. For I think she says very beautifully what I've been trying to say since I started opening my mouth this morning. Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt 
in a weakened broth. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment. Like salt in a weakened broth, what you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go. So you know how desolate the landscape can be between regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you and how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. You must, before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows. You must speak to it until your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread, only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow, like a friend. So many people spoke during this retreat about the harrowing nature of loving kindness practice, of compassion practice how it does bring us to our knees to feel so deeply the sorrow that we contain in our own life and memories, but also in the world. Jogen Zensei was invoking the grandmotherly archetype as an access point for cultivating loving kindness. And this is one of Dogen Zenji's three minds or three awarenesses or three attitudes of Atenzo, the head cook at the monastery. And I find that Dogen's instructions to the Tenzo, to the head cook, are pointing at three ways that we can practice loving kindness both on the meditation cushion and also in our everyday life. This is the Tenzo at the monastery uh, often wasn't in the meditation hall very much. Their job was to prepare meals for the whole community, and sometimes that community was thousands of monks. So they had to develop the ability to practice in activity, in great activity, in great responsibility. So these three minds, which are kind mind or grandmotherly mind, 
great mind and joyful mind can be accessed, cultivated on the meditation cushion, but then also in our lives, planning and cooking meals, tending to household chores, engaged in business endeavors, computer work, any kind of relationship, caretaking a child. So I want to um, talk about these three minds as we uh, transition out of the loving kindness retreat and into the retreat of life. These three attitudes are perspectives that we have access to in regards to our experience. So in the example of kind mind or grandmotherly mind, we learn to parent ourselves. We hone that capacity to be kind, to be ideal parents to ourselves and then to see how that extends out to uh, objects that we're working with, to family members, to, and to all of our relationships. What are some other qualities of the archetypal grandmother? So maybe your grandmother wasn't particularly kind or generous, or maybe you never met your own grandmother, but perhaps you have an experience or an impression of that archetypal grandmother, someone who is generous, soft, maybe they have a big open lap that you can snuggle on. Maybe they're a warm embrace or someone whose presence just invokes a sense of non-judgmental presence, non-judgmental love or a sense of welcome. We can learn to be this for ourselves, and that is part of what we were doing during this retreat. Jogan gave us a new phrasing on the, the metta prayers, uh, inviting us to send metta to the body, to the mind, to the heart, and to parts of ourselves. So instead of using the I phrase, he really broke it down for us into all of these, these ways that we experience I or myself, right? And people often have a hard time with the I phrase. So this was interesting because a lot of people found it really helpful. So one way is to do it by parts. So recognizing, oh, the inner critic is present and sending loving kindness to the critical part. May you be happy inner critic. May you be truly happy. Or someone named the busybody. Busybody, may you find ease. Or perhaps we have tension in the back. Back, may you be free from tension. Mind, may you be free from confusion. And so in this way, we're invited to find phrasing that really speaks to our own direct experience and perhaps the obstacles uh, in our own direct experience or the places within us that are in need of love, in need of kindness, in need of a grandmotherly embrace. And then we can give these to ourselves through these kind words or, or intentions we can bring this generous, loving presence 
to our entire inner experience, inner community. We were using that word or that phrase, inner community. One way I was thinking of working with a grandmotherly heart was, um, have you ever had an experience of feeling totally a mess? And you go to someone and they just don't buy it. Like you're complaining, you're talking about all your issues, your problems, and you kind of want them to like give you some feedback. Like, yeah, that really does suck. You really are having a hard time or something like that. And instead they just are disarmingly kind and caring, but don't engage with your mess. They just listen. And their presence is non-judgmental. They just kind of let you do your thing. You're whining, you're complaining, and they just sit there. And perhaps they smile or offer you some coffee or cookie. Like their presence is this embrace, like it's okay. And then you get a sense that it's okay. And maybe you're just making this whole thing up. Teachers can be good at that. I know Hogan Roshi has done that to me a number of times. Um, so even if you have an experience like this just once, it's powerful, it's impactful. It's a whole different orientation to um, how you usually or I usually uh, work with my inner complaints. And it shows that there's another way. So even if this is an archetypal level experience, maybe you haven't had it exactly the way I'm describing, I think we can intuit that there are people like that that are able to just hear, that are able to see or exist at another level of well-being, that aren't so concerned with the fluctuations of the heart-mind. Okay, you're feeling angry right now. That's not a problem. Okay, yeah, that's the inner critic. It's not a problem. <laughs> And they might not be like that all the time, of course. They're not this perfect person that we're trying to call forward. But they're capable of that. Like I said, my teachers are examples. Perhaps a grandmother is an example. And having an experience of like that or even intuiting that someone can exist like that some of the time reminds us that we can be like that too, that it's possible. Jogan had us open to the blessing waves of influence that beings like teachers and grandmothers can reveal to us if we let them influence our heart minds. So during uh, each meditation session, he had us imagine or call forward beings that are kind. And we have the archetypes of the bodhisattvas. Then also teachers or even just moments in our lives where we've experienced or have been able to receive non-judgmental kindness from another person. And this kindness can come through 
in very simple ways. And that's something I always need to remind myself. It can be a smile. It can be a generous act. It can be a kind word. It can be a compliment. It doesn't have to be this like peak experience of all-embracing kindness in order to count as a, a moment or a blessing wave of kindness that you're making yourself available to receive and to influence your own heart stream. I've found that learning to receive kindness can be more challenging than offering it. And I don't know at the deepest level if that's true, but it can feel true on the surface. How many times a day is kindness being offered? Look for those generous acts, those loving words, those hugs, those waves, those smiles, those compliments, those simple inquiries when you pass somebody, how are you doing today? All those are acts of kindness. And all of them, we can receive the kind intention behind them and let it permeate our heart, our mind. Can you give yourself permission to take it in? I know for myself, I can walk around the day with my heart a little guarded and not even notice it. And so then like I'm skeptical of everybody's kind acts and I, I don't receive them. Kenyo and I have been taking walks almost every day since the start of the pandemic and we walk on the road right outside the monastery and wave to cars as they pass us by. And 98% of the people wave back. And I think it took me months to actually be able to pause and receive the wave as an act of kindness. A couple of weeks ago, twice we were walking down the street and a car pulled up behind us, stopped and said, have a nice day, and then drove off. And that one really, like, I was able to take that one in and notice that I, from receiving that kindness, which he totally did not have to do, he had to, like, stop on a busy road and wait, roll down his window. But I had more kindness to give. I was nice for the rest of the walk and kind to the other cars and to Kenya. A kind act really does ripple out if we are allow ourselves to receive it and then pay it forward, which happens naturally. We often don't have to do anything. The second mind of Dogen Zenji is great mind. And Dogen Zenji says, great mind is the mind like a great mountain or an ocean. Great mind is vast all-inclusive awareness, spacious presence. The essence of kindness may be simply our attention. In great mind, we can zoom out, perhaps take an eagle-eye view, or perhaps open our awareness to include space, feeling the whole body, the space within, the space surrounding us, the space in the mind. In great mind, 
we can allow the thoughts, the emotions, the feelings, the sensations that are arising to simply move through like dappled light, color, tiny touches, just appearing, revealing, evolving, and changing. Great mind helps us see that we are not any of it. The negativity, the tensions, the inner conflicts are all happening us, in us, through us, as us, and are in an act of continuous transformation, evolution. We call this insight into impermanence. It's one of the three insights in Buddhism that lead to liberation. Great mind appreciates that we are in process. We are process. Anything we think we are is not quite it. Indefinable. Nothing is the whole truth. That this process is mysterious, it's ungraspable, it's fluid, it's open. And we don't need to figure it out because we can't. We don't need to fix it because we can't. We don't need to make a kinder or better version of ourselves. We can simply be like mountain, like ocean, receptive to all the changes, the weather patterns, the movements, vast and all-inclusive, ancient and timeless. This is an aspect of loving-kindness practice could say of the four immeasurables, this is equanimity. It's so important. This is the teaching in the Heart Sutra. Joyful mind, Dogen Senji says, joyful mind set, joyful mind is the mind that rejoices. Joyful mind is the mind that rejoices. And Shanti Deva says in the chant that we chanted last night, I rejoice in the virtue of all beings. Joyful mind is the mind that rejoices. Joyful mind reminds us that there is always space for gratitude and appreciation. But whenever the mind gets into a tunnel vision about a particular pain or criticism or judgment or thought about ourselves or someone else. Joyful mind is the one that's knocking on the heart or like Shokan said, whispering like a parrot on the shoulder. Yes. And what else? What else? What else besides this place that you're grasping right now that you're identified with this contraction, what else is true? Can you find one thing in your experience that you are enjoying right now? Joyful mind and great mind work together to zoom out a little bit from that contraction and see what else is going on right now. Oh, there's a flower blooming. Oh, There's a sound of wind. 
oh, I can feel my feet and they're not hurting. Can you find one thing that you appreciate about yourself or one thing that you appreciate about the person that you're having judgments or critical thoughts about? This is powerful. It's powerful to do, and usually you don't want to do it when you're in a kind of tunnel vision. So it's a practice. It's a practice of opening that contraction to include more of what is true in the present moment. One thing that maybe instead of joyful, that's making you feel joyful or that you appreciate, you could even say one thing that's neutral right now is like a little baby step to the side of negativity or criticism. One thing that is just okay or perhaps going well. It reminds us that usually the sensations in the feet are fine or one or two of the sensations in the feet are fine, or that the blood in the veins is flowing fine, or that the breath or the sounds in the room are doing just fine. And probably before you looked, you didn't even notice them. They were doing that fine. Joyful Mind invites us to bring joy into our lives, which as Jogan Zenzi, Jogen, sorry, Jogen Sensei phrased one of the traditional meta prayers as, may I protect my happiness. May I protect my happiness. That joy actually is a choice and we can protect it and we actually need to practice protecting it. One simple way to bring joy online is to practice this subtle smile in meditation and I encourage outside of the meditation hall as well. Joy, happiness, appreciation, all these aspects of joyful mind keep the heart resilient. They are crucial for our well-being. And as many people noticed, our when our well-being is supported, when we're doing things to nurture well-being within ourselves, naturally it flows outward. It flows into our relationships. It flows into our work. It flows into the world, into our lives, without us having to do much to make it happen. When we are genuinely happy, or even practicing happiness and see, is there much of a distinction there? When we are genuinely happy or practicing happiness, kindness, presence, people can, animals can, plants can feel it. Perhaps even what we call inanimate objects can feel it. I'm thinking about the studies of water and who knows if this has been disproven, but that Masaru Imata, Imato you, um, conducted where 
He discovered that crystals formed in frozen water reveal changes when specific concentrated thoughts were directed towards them. So he found, and he took pictures of this, that water from clear springs or water that had been exposed to loving words shows brilliant, complex, and colorful snowflake patterns. And then in contrast, water exposed to negative thoughts forms incomplete asymmetrical patterns full of dull colors. Similar studies have been shown regarding plants' receptivity to loving attention. Similarly, I think we can experience this subjectively that in our lives, when we are embodying kindness, objects, people respond to our kind attention. They feel enlivened by our kindness. When I see that my life is not separate from the life of this floor or these clothes or this paper, mutuality and receptivity opens up. Gratitude and appreciation open up. And perhaps I'm more available to receive kindness, the kindnesses that are being offered by floor, walls, ceiling, light. Perhaps the community that I am a part of is much bigger than the human community. And that kindness is a language that we can speak together and receive from each other. And in a way, then, even when we're alone from other humans, there's still kindness and relationship. Well, I invite everyone to really study kindness in these three minds, kind or grandmotherly mind, great mind, joyful mind. Notice where you receive kindness openly and where the barriers to giving and receiving it might be. Kind mind, great mind, joyful mind, these are all aspects of loving kindness. It takes time to cultivate them. One weekend retreat may open up a lot, may reveal a lot of your capacity for kindness, the depth of kindness, the, the capacity to feel deeply the emotions that have been moving through. And yet we need to continue. We need to practice every day, throughout the day, to keep it alive. And with practice, they grow, stabilize, integrate, and become your mind. And then you are the grandmother that we can come and visit and throw a tantrum and you'll just say, you're fine. Love, you're fine. So may we be the best grandmother we can be. Um, we could... If anybody wants to say anything, we have a little bit of time. Ask a question, talk about your own experience.
Are these three minds, three different minds? I think we can practice them in distinct ways, and it's helpful, I think, to divide them up in, the, in that way, like, oh, this is the mind of equanimity, I'm practicing spaciousness right now, or um, developing the capacity to parent ourselves, like I was saying, in, in the kind mind, um, or practice joy in, in that way of when I notice that I'm stuck, I can find something joyful. So those are all like ways of practicing these, what seems like three distinct aspects of mind. But um, no, they're not separate. And if we practice one, usually we have access to the other two. And maybe not. You know, we can practice spaciousness in a way that it becomes a kind of cool indifference. And so if it's not infused with also this grandmotherly or kind mind, um, we can be kind of cool, spacious, floating around beings. I mean, but, you know, we infuse um, practice with kindness by taking the bodhisattva vow, by living in community. So we, we practice it even if we're not like distinctly saying, okay, now I'm practicing kind mind. But I think they do balance each other, and we can get off balance. And we know people who've been off balance, and we probably know it in ourselves as well, that having them as distinct uh, minds, or they're you know, another way of saying the four immeasurables, which, are, which is equanimity, loving kindness, compassion, and sympathetic joy, which we name as four distinct aspects of the heart and can train in all of those aspects. And if I think if we practice each of them genuinely, they open to each other and reveal each other. Do you want to say anything else? Well, one of the things that happens... Is that a microphone? It is repeating. One of the things that happens is as a retreat like this is people expect feel a certain thing. And if they don't feel a certain thing like this kindness, then they become unkind. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> Positing this that if there's an expectation and we don't meet it, what do we do? Well, I was talking about that earlier. I mean, what's what's pretty amazing is, yes, of course, we all had expectations and we go through a retreat like this and we meet our reality. So we can set high intentions for, for really manifesting kindness in every moment um, or having an expectation that kindness is supposed to be like this grandmotherly, happy, all-embracing being. And... And then we meet our challenge, and we get to actually practice kindness, and that's how kindness develops. And everybody who attended the retreat had some experience like that. At least that's what it sounded like at Closing Circle. Um, and, and so now know for themselves um, like the real depth of this practice, which we can only know through doing it. And every time we do it, it's different. And every time we do it, we meet a new challenge and some other aspect of our lives that um, 
is is asking us to be included in this practice of kindness. Thank you. Shall we make some vows? Mm -hmm. 